I replied to that saying, I wouldn't sweat it because given the rate we're going at, we're probably not going to be around as a species for much longer. And <laughs> this is something yeah, yeah. that really worries me. You know, it's, it is something of concern, but that was my way of trying to de-stress something that really bothers me about the world today. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I, I had kids before I gave it too much thought. But, but um, now, now <laughs> yes. that I do think about it more often, I think, oh, God, is it going to be them, their kids, or their grandkids right. that see the end of it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. When, you know, some idiot lets off a dirty bomb and, and right. pollutes half the world or something like that. This is Brian Clark from Copyblogger, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights podcast. In part one of this two-part episode, we talked to Marty Wilson about how he almost shared the stage with the Dalai Lama, how he used humor as a tool to build a bond with his audience and how you can too, and how to use humor as an icebreaker. In this second part of this two-part series, we're going to talk about the key challenges people tend to face when they try to introduce humor into their speaking and their general day-to-day communication and how to overcome those challenges. We're also going to have some action steps we'll go through, which I'm sure you'll find quite useful. This second part of this two-part series is accessible with the show notes at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 137. And the first part of this two-part series is accessible at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 136. If you haven't already subscribed to the Productive Insights podcast, I strongly recommend you do so, so you never miss another episode. To subscribe, just head over to iTunes and type in the words Productive Insights, and that should come up. Or you can go to your podcast app on your iOS device and type in Productive Insights, and the podcast should come up, and then click on subscribe, and you're done. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights podcast editing service, which takes away all the pain of podcast editing. All you've got to do is upload your audio file into Dropbox, and we'll take care of the publishing of the episode onto your WordPress site and onto iTunes. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how to get started. Now, we ended the first part of this two-part series talking about the movie It's a Beautiful Life and how it builds up to a crescendo, which is a very important part of storytelling and also happens to be a very important part of humor. So let's pick up the conversation from there in this second part. On with the show. It's a beautiful life. You know, Beautiful Life, the, the movie about um, the guy um, surviving with his son through the concentration camps in, in World War II. Mm-hmm. You know the Allies are coming. Yes. And, you know, you know they're going to be released the ne- any minute now. Yes. And he, like the last night before that, he gets taken, the, the father gets taken away and ends up dying just before his release. And that makes it so much sadder. Yes. So building up the tension in your stories is a great way for them to get a much bigger laugh when you pull out the punchline at the end. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I do to practice my humor, as it were. And sadly, I don't do a lot of it in this podcast, and I probably should. But I'm always thinking about absurdity in situations and how I can phrase the absurdity of a situation. I'm always trying to bring out the ludicrousness of certain things, like you know how kids just yep. completely annihilate whatever you plan with your life. And <laughs> you know you might be wanting to go for a walk to the park, and then you know you have three tantrums along the way. And being able to 
take a witness stance and look at the absurdity as if you know someone's writing a comic book about your life kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that brings a lot of relief. Absolutely. It's one of the things I talk about in, in my TED Talk, take funny seriously. <laughs> it's that. all it, it's all about well be, because of the I, I go into the the benefits the, the talk I gave at the happiness and its causes thing was almost the same it's because of the research has shown that you know the benefits to your resilience of deliberately choosing to laugh at your stressors hmm. absolutely massive like it, it's been right. shown to help you reappraise threats and reduce stress so wow. like if, if you can laugh at your stressors it's like it flicks a switch in the back of your head that says well if I'm laughing at this, I must be bigger than this. I must have control over this yes. or I wouldn't be laughing at it. Yes. And that helps increase your personal resilience, helps you move through life more smoothly. It facilitates psychological well-being, just keeps you on a more even keel. And they've found that deliberately getting people to create jokes, to look at things in a funny way, even things as terrible as photo Stanford University, this lovely research about they show people cadavers, car crashes, animal attacks, things like this, and ask them to deliberately choose other ways to describe what could be happening. Mm. Like they got them to describe their first impression, you know, oh God, this is, you know, sadly, this is a dead body after an earthquake or mm. Something like this. And just as an intellectual exercise, got them to describe what was happening in five different ways and try and make them funny. And then they reported they reported on their feelings after doing it the first time, which is how our brain, our default way, our brains look at things in a chaotic way, uh, in, in a catastrophic way. We go, oh, God, this is horrible. This is horrible. But then if you're forced to create humor around these things, it was shown to give you greater positive affect, which is, which is the psychological term just for happier or more cheerful. Yeah. And so if you can train yourself, and it really is just a case of forcing yourself to do it, mm. to deliberately choose to, as you say, look at the situation as an observer, as a third person, ra rather than this is me and all my emotions are flying and my kids are mucking up and everything. Mm. If you can deliberately choose to take a step back and look at things from a third person perspective, mm. then it's actually really great for your um, psychological well-being. And one of the ways um, after doing all the interviews for this What I Wish I Knew book series I've got out there, one of the things I, I – the phrases that keeps coming back, one of the people I interviewed said, if you laugh about it on your 80th birthday, yeah. start laughing about it now. Yeah. And so when things are going all pear-shaped, start in your mind – Tell your 80th, tell you on your 80th birthday all about it, and see how they respond. And 99 times out of 100, they'll either give you some, you know, you're talking to yourself, but bad luck. Um, you know, <laughs> and, um, they'll either get, offer you some wise advice to just chill out and handle this a bit better, you know, suck it up, princess, or they'll find ways to laugh at it. You know, particularly when it involves just as you say the the everyday craziness that kids bring or work colleagues bring and, and that sort of thing. You know that sort of stuff there, when you look at it from when I'm talking this through with my partner tonight or when I'm, you know, telling this as a story on my birthday in two years' time, how will I describe it? You know, there's always room for humour in there. You know, I recently saw someone share on Facebook, people are annoying me. And I replied to that saying, I wouldn't sweat it because given the rate we're going at, we're probably not going to be around as a species for much longer. And <laughs> This is something yeah, yeah. that really worries me. You know, it's, it is something of concern, but that was my way of trying to de-stress something that really bothers me about the world today. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I um, yeah, as 
I must admit, I, I had kids before I gave it too much thought. But <laughs> but um, now, now yes. that I do think about it more often, I think, oh, God, is it going to be them, their kids, or their grandkids right. that see the end of it? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. When, you know, some idiot lets off a dirty bomb and, and right. pollutes half the world or something like that. But I do think... You know, I, I put out a, a social media video about this sort of stuff where I the title was How to Stop Worrying About Donald Trump. And it got great ratings and you know, deliberately playing off all but the angst. But like, everyone's getting so emotionally angst-ridden about him. But if if you want to stand up against some of the things that he's doing, and, you know, everyone's entitled to their own politics. I, I personally do. I, I'm personally not a big fan of the guy. Yeah. Then stop taking him so seriously. Mm. You know, poke fun. Like, if, if there's anything, I, I love that quote, you know, the only thing worse than power without morality is power without humor. Right. I love that. And and he has no sense of humor Correct. about himself. And that, to me, shows a deep, deep character flaw. You know, mm. like all the other presidents, all the oh, other absolutely. leaders, all the heroes that I've ever admired, they've all been able to laugh at themselves. Absolutely. And that was one of the most wonderful things about Obama. You know, he was... Really, really able to laugh at himself. W was on uh, Jimmy Fallon not too long ago, and they were asking him, you know, or one of the other late night things, and they said, um, "Did you have a good laugh at yourself? You know, when you're the president?" And he just sort of gave a wry smile and said, "Well, I didn't really have a choice, did I?" <laughs> That's another important device, actually, to be able to bring your humour into current events, which is something everyone can relate to. So if you crack a joke about a snail you saw on the side of the road yesterday, people may not quite relate to that. But if you crack a joke about a public figure, then it's something that everyone can immediately connect with. And that has partly to do with, you know, I, I was talking, we we're talking about stories and, and uh, setting people up and schemas and that sort of stuff before. If you start talking about Donald Trump, he's already a stereotype. Yes. Uh, and so if you want to make fun of that stereotype, you can just say, you know, this, you know, elderly, rich, blowhard, you know, a Donald Trump sort of guy walked <laughs> into the room and then people get straight away. They, they bring a whole lot of expectations to that. There's a whole lot of stuff we've talked about. So I think this would be a good opportunity for me to kind of, you know, sum things up and then we'll go into some of the biggest challenges people have faced. And maybe you can talk about how people can overcome those challenges and the mistakes around humor. So, so far we've talked about how to use various devices around humor, such as absurdity, exaggeration, irony, parody, sarcasm, satire. But the most important thing is if you as a listener are trying to develop your humor muscles, then it's important to practice, to think about situations that are in your everyday life, preferably situations that are stressful, and look at them from an absurd standpoint, you know, look at it from a from a removed standpoint and look at the absurdity of it to try and relieve stress. Another important tool is to use this thing called pattern interrupt, where you lead people down a certain path, you create a certain thought pattern and you almost lead them to believe it's going to end in a certain way, and, and then you sort of misdirect them. And that creates almost a sort of a resolution which delivers that relief and that humor. Another important reason that humor is important is because it allows us to feel like we are aligned with each other, and we are almost looking at a common enemy, often, unfortunately, the, the butt of the joke is the enemy. But sometimes that butt of the joke can be ourselves. 
And we are all laughing at me together, me being the person cracking the joke. And that still works as a humor device. Another thing that you talked about that was important is build up the story and build up the anticipation after which you can deliver the punchline. The tension, yeah, build up the tension. The stakes have to be higher. The higher the stakes are, the funnier the punchline will be when things are reversed. Right. And that, interestingly, is a very important storytelling device as well. You know, you build up the anticipation, you build up the stakes, and if the story ends up resolving in a dramatic conclusion, it might end up not being a funny one. That's the power of drama. But you can also use that same device to end it in a humorous situation where you do the misdirection thing. So that's a little bit of a summary in action steps. Could you talk about some of the biggest mistakes you've seen people make around humor? And what was your advice to somebody who's terrified of being horribly unfunny, but they really want to be funny? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I guess the biggest mistake I see most people making is the exact same mistake I made when I first started doing stand-up. And it was not having humor that didn't come directly from you. I, I think you have to use humor that makes you laugh rather than humor that you think you should use or it's best to use something like that. For example, there was a stand-up comic called Bill Hicks who died. It'd be 15, maybe even 20 years he died now. And I just heard of him when I first started doing stand-up and I bought a few of his CDs as they were back then. And I just, I loved his ability to really go for the jugular and take the the mickey out of political figures and that sort of thing. And, and well, like one of his albums is called Rant in E Minor, for example. And, and so he was, he was very much a stand-up on stage, point fingers at society, point fingers at people in the audience and say, look, you're a dickhead, you're a dickhead, you're a dickhead, this bunch of people, they're dickheads. And I tried to do that for a while, but, you know, back then the only thing I could get really angry about was boy bands and that sort of stuff. And and, and it just, uh, and I'm just, I'm quite naturally a very happy, plural, pluralist, live and let live type of person. And so it just didn't sit well with me and it just never really worked. Mm. And it was only when I stopped standing on stage and pointing my finger and saying, you're a dickhead, you're a dickhead. And my style is much more give the audience a big hug and say, aren't we all dickheads? Yes, <laughs> like, right. You know, we're all dickheads together, aren't we? Like that's far more. So it's the inclusivity that you prefer to use as a device, as your approach to humor. Yeah, yeah and, and that's my style. And, right. you know, the, the storytelling stuff was always, I always enjoy telling stories was my thing as well. And so, you know, go less from being a, a Jim Jeffries type of guy. And Jim Jeffries is a very, very funny oh, Oz, yes. Aussie. No, if you know Jim, oh, yeah, Aussie comedian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've watched his shows. That gun control stuff. Like, really, really funny guy. But, you know, if, if Jim Jeffries is out here, way out to the left, and Billy Connolly's way out to the right, I'm far more on the Billy Connolly side of scale in terms yes. of things in, stylistically. But, sure. you know, for Jim Jeffries, that's it. That's him. That's who right. he is. George Carlin was very much like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and there's a great you know a long line of uh, guys like uh, Doug Stanhope, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, you know what's his name, Richard Pryor, like mm. you know Chris Rock and that sort of guy, you know the really really funny people, but just that's not my style. Yes, and so I think the biggest mistake everyone tries to make, particularly when they try and do this professionally or in their speaking work or presenting or sales pitching and that sort of thing, is they just download some jokes off the internet and try and shoehorn them in to, the, to their right. presentation and things like that, rather than, I think we talked about in the previous episode, just gathering up things that you say socially that people always laugh at and working out uh, probably about a, a third of my more funny, more money stuff 
when I'm training people is teaching them how to use stuff they already say that's funny and work that into their sales pitches. Because then if I'm telling a story like that, when I tell that story about being in the operating theatre, that was 13 years ago. And so when I tell that, you know, my shoulders open up, I get a big smile on my face because I've probably told it about 300 times. So I know how to tell it really well. The timing is really good on that when I tell it from the stage because I know where the audience is going to laugh. So I know to leave a bit of a gap there because they're going to have a bit of a giggle there. And do you know what I mean? So like it's, it's well rehearsed. So start there. Okay. That's such an important point because ultimately, if you don't believe in the humor of the situation and you don't buy it, well, the chances of the audience buying it are very, very minimal. And even if they throw rotten tomatoes at you, at least you get a laugh out of it. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're better off going with something that you think is funny and going with your, as you said, your style, what suits you naturally. I think yeah. I feel more like you. You know, I, I like the we're all in it together kind of humor. Sure, I resort to a lot of sarcasm and stuff like that as well. But that tends to be more in private with people I trust. Now, there was something that was absolutely side-splittingly hilarious that you shared at a recent event that I attended about that car situation where you shared, you ended with a certain limerick. Oh, the road, the road rage thing. So could you share that with our audience? Because I think it would be a travesty if you No, didn't. no, I, I can't. I, I could, I've, I've got a, I've got a proper clear. I, I can't do it in the studio now. It, it, it wouldn't work. And then again, yeah, that, that's a good lesson for humor to, um, it's, it's for the listeners. It's, I talk about the, I finish up my keynote on resilience or talk using stuff about take funny seriously and use humor to disperse the tension in your lives. And, and I talk about a friend of mine who uses old Broadway show tunes to disperse his road rage. Mm. And I'll make sure I, I've, I've got a link to a, a video of me doing that and you can put it in oh, the yes, show notes. Please. After, I'd appreciate uh, that. Yes afterwards but because it, it just when you click on that link and you, and you follow you you'll see that it just wouldn't have worked me sitting here yes. on skype doing it doing it right because it involves dance moves and everything so right, right. So, gotcha but the the humor in that is it's the clash of two things hmm. it's the clash of you know the tension of road rage two people are very angry something like that with the absurdity of expressing that anger using old broadway show tunes and that's one of the other ways to create humor put two things together that shouldn't normally go together particularly yes. you know the physicality of dancing in the street yes. um, when road rage happens but also the emotional intensity of you know your average broadway musical is very extravagant and very big and very now <laughs> And whereas road rage, it's all, you know, get a baseball bat and try and beat each other up. So when, you, when you're clashing those two things together, that's that's where the, the dissonance in the brain comes from and the brain just goes, <laughs> you know, right. uh, cause, causing the brain to have a bit of a meltdown is what. And it's that absurdity like Python was very good at, yes. at that sort of stuff. Yes. Monty Python was extremely good. Very good, that sort of stuff for you know, some, of, some of, you know, Eddie Izzard's sketch bit that he used to do about, Darth Vader going to the cafeteria in the Death Star. <laughs> have, you, have you ever heard that? No. It's fantastic. And um, like he's talking to the guy in the cafeteria and and the guy says, well, you need a tray. And Darth Vader's going like, I'm Darth Vader. Like I am Lord of the Sith. You know, like I have a light, light, light I could choke you with the force. Yeah, you still need a tray. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
you know, so there's got to be YouTube, YouTube clips. Someone's actually created it in Star Wars Lego pieces yeah. uh, to go with the Eddie Izzard thing, and it's just hilarious. The the absurdity of well, that's great. You know, Darth Vader's a pretty fearsome opponent, but you know he's got to eat. There's yeah. the, the thought is he's got to eat. Where's it? Where does he eat on the Death Star? Like right. a Death Star's a big place. It'd have a cafeteria. <laughs> Monty Python used that absurdity device so well. I still remember that fish slapping dance. That was one of the many things that were hilarious. And yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely link to all of these things in the show notes. Incidentally, that's Michael Palin's favorite sketch. Is that right? I saw an interview with him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other interesting thing about the Python gang was that they were all pretty educated people. Like, you know, one was a doctor, one was a lawyer, one was an accountant. But yeah. they came up with the most ridiculous stuff. It really gets me giggling a lot of the time. I mean, this stuff was just, you know, I, I just, I'm a big fan. So I yeah. definitely recommend if you haven't heard or watched any of the Python stuff, I'll link to some of those things in this episode. And this episode will be published at productiveinsights.com forward slash six. So definitely check it out. It's got, probably going to be a two-part episode. So it'll probably be productiveinsights.com forward slash 136 and productiveinsights.com forward slash 137. Now, and we'll definitely publish a link to that skill of yours as well, Marty, because we really need to, I, I need my audience to check out that road rage thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> now, Marty, how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about you and develop these skills that we've been talking about through a connection with you? Sure. The, the place, if it's particularly humor, if you want, if you want me to come along to your event mm-hmm. and either demonstrate some of this stuff or talk about resilience, I, I have a keynote called Change Without Fear. If your company is going through, uh, you know, merger and acquisition or you know, innovation, disruption from technology or regulation, like where all of a sudden, you know, like, like in the, exactly like it was in the operating theater, or the, the hospital where you think your whole company's going over here, then for some reason or another, You've got to go straight over here and your people are struggling with that. So if you'd like me to come along and and teach your people how to handle that better, go to martinwilson.com. That will um, show you all my keynote offerings and that sort of thing. If you would like me to teach your leadership group how to use humor in their communications a bit better, there's also a keynote there called Lighten Up and Lead. Or if, if it's more about you want to learn yourself how to uh, incorporate more humor in your presentations, your speaking. If you're a speaker listening to this, if you're uh, doing a lot of sales pitching, that sort of thing, then go to morefunnymoremoney.com. Cool. And there are a lot of a lot of free resources there. There's there's a one-hour webinar you can watch there uh, that will teach you a, a lot about the story techniques that I've been alluding to here about how to gather up stories and weave them into your content so that you can all of a sudden, you know, be 20% above head and shoulders above anyone else on a bill if you're at a speaking conference or something like that. By all of a sudden, you've got three funny stories in a half hour speech, then you're already 20% above anybody else on the bill. Right. And that's probably a good place for me to go to become a better and more humorous podcast host. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Marty. This has been great. It's just awesome to have you back. And Pleasure. Man, I'd love to do this again soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 